You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which uh, has been read to us, which we've read together, uh, which we have sung to you, uh, the impact of which we have seen uh, in Marsley's testimony and in the DVD. Uh, Now, Lord, we come to consider it and to savor it and to learn. And so, Lord, we uh, need your spirit to open the ears of our hearts and the eyes of our understanding and our will. And so, Father, we pray for your great mercy upon us. And ask that you would give to us the hearing of your word as well as the speaking. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, on the the few Sunday mornings that I'm uh, preaching uh, here, uh, mostly it's Sunday evenings, uh, we've been taking a kind of a hop, skip and a jump through Ecclesiastes. And so if you'd like to turn to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament... Um, We're going to read a little bit and consider it for a few moments together. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 16 through to verse 22, though it's mostly verses 18 to 22 that we're going to consider. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in my Bible it's on page 670, that might not do you any good, uh, but I think it's the same as the church Bibles if you go on with it. And... um, What we're about to read has, uh, has in it, um, in some respects, the sort of the reason why children on the street of Kampala are valuable to God. And uh, it is the, the antidote to everything that would devalue not only our children, uh, but our old people and uh, those of us who are somewhere in between. So I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought... As for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward? And if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work. Because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? 
Uh, well, on that cheerful note, uh, we, uh, I'd like to just remind, uh, remind us all what Ecclesiastes is about, what Caheleth, the preacher, is actually doing in Ecclesiastes. Um, what Caheleth is doing um, is, in one sense, a great sort of um, thought experiment. It's a wonderful bit of teaching um, as Caheleth uh, teaches the people of Israel um, why they ought to go on believing and living before God. And uh, uh, he does so uh, mostly uh, in most of Ecclesiastes by, by saying, well, look what happens if you rule God out. So the great uh, sort of phrase that gets repeated in, in the earlier part of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. And what he's doing is saying, if you just live under the sun rather than under the one who made the sun, in Augustine's phrase, then if, if you live just with the, the sort of the ceiling of your life being the natural world, and if you live under that but not under God who is above that in that sort of Hebrew three-decker universe thing, if, if, if the extent of your world only goes to the extent of the material world that you can see, then this is what happens to you. This is what life becomes. Whereas we live under the one who made the sun, we live under God. And that gives you a very, very different life and a very, very different view of life and of people. Now those two paths, uh, the one under the sun, the other under the one who made the sun, uh, Kaheleth has already identified... The, 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 the road that is just lived under the sun, that materialistic world that has just deleted God, ruled God out, either intellectually or functionally, because, of course, Ecclesiastes was written for God's people as a warning to them, even though they would say, yes, I believe in, in Yahweh, and I, 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 I believe he rules everything and all that kind of thing, but functionally you live as if he wasn't there, so whether it's a committed thing that there is no God, you're an atheist or an anti-theist, or whether you're actually somebody who is a believer but functionally lives as if God were not really all that involved in your life, that road, um, Koheleth has already marked out as empty or meaningless. Vanity of vanities. Meaningless, says the preacher. Now it's not because... He's a kind of a, a, a depressive um, and gloomy... He, I mean, he didn't grow up listening to the Smiths, for those of you who are of, of a certain age or whatever, um, uh, and has just lived his entire life in a minor key. What he's doing is saying, look, if, if you rule God out, there is no meaning left, really. If, if you rule God out, all, all you've got are stories that you like to tell yourself to fend off the bleakness. All you've got is a little narrative that you make of your own life, or maybe some grand meta-narrative, which just basically tells you something that comforts you, because you didn't face the harsh reality of the fact that you don't mean anything. Life has no significance. And that road is not just meaningless and, and, and vain and empty. Um, it is not just charted by a kind of empty-handedness, chapter 2, verse 11 as people chase after the wind, always going for something, but it eludes them, a, a, a picture which is um, uh, sort of scything in its, in its comic nature. 
But it is also a path that is, in 2.26, sinful. Sinful. It's not just that it is a path that has been marked out by a lack of information. It is an act of the will in rebellion to rule God out. So it's a sinful path. It is the folly of the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. And fool in the Old Testament is, is not somebody who is like just, you know, not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, so to speak, uh, but somebody who is willfully committed to live a life as if there is no God. And the Bible calls that foolish because there is a God. Uh, it's like you, you're living a grand myth. If you live as if there is no God, uh, functionally or even in a committed way, you are living a totally unreal life. So you see, the Bible is like completely 180 degrees reversed from where most of our culture is going in the UK at the moment. Because most of our culture says that your Bible is a myth, your Christian life is a myth, you're, you're, that's the unreality. Whereas the Bible says, no, <laughs> the really unreal thing is to live as if no, there is no God, because there is one. So what Koheleth is doing in, in the passage, particularly in 18 through 22, we're going to consider, is it's just saying, look, if, if you live this meaningless life, this vain life, this folly, then, well... 16 following, justice goes. And it does, doesn't it? What grounds have you to make a judgment on other people if there is no greater understanding of what is right or wrong? All you've got is your own personal thoughts, your own interpretation. Uh, And so instead of justice, which comes from somebody out with a conflict, all you've got left is the, resort, the recourse to power. All you've got left is, is the power you've got to assert your will and your sense of what is right or wrong. And so instead of justice, what you get is wickedness. You get the abuse of power. So the instruments of justice become the instruments of oppression. Because that, you've really got nowhere else to go if you've taken God out of the picture. Because all you've got left is yourself and other people. So justice goes uh, in 16. Then what, what you see happening in verse 17 is Kahelth is just bringing God back in and saying, well, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity and a time for every deed. And then he slips back under the sun again in 18. He sort of slips into it during the first part of 18. And by the time we get through 18, through through to 22, he's thoroughly back under the sun again. And he is bang up to date with one of the key things that is a cultural issue for us, which is a cultural issue whether you're a Christian in in a non-Christian country like the UK or whether you're thinking about becoming a Christian or you're wondering what Christianity is all about And there is something about what's going on in the UK which disturbs you, but you can't put a finger on it and you can't see what the answer is. Well, what Kahela starts to write about, this issue that is perhaps the dominant issue in um, our society at the moment, is what does it mean to be human? 
What does it mean to be human? Uh, it's one of the crucial issues in healthcare. Any of you involved at all in healthcare will be facing that on a daily basis. Um, it's one of the key issues in ethics. It's one of the key issues in education. Um, it is what lies underneath um, what has been uh, a set of issues around uh, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, uh, gender. Um, it is the gender issue that underlies those surface sexuality and sexual orientation issues. Um, it is one of the key issues in politics, therefore, in philosophy. And it's why, although I, I, I don't know you, Marsley, so um, where, where have you gone? Oh, you're there. I don't know you personally, but um, uh, it's, it's, I can say this from the scriptures and from what Marsley said. It's why Marsley goes to, to, uh, to Kampala to do the work there. And why other people do the same and don't just let children die because they're worth nothing. So, there's a word that gives us a bit of a focal point for what Kaheleth is talking about here in verses 18 following, and it, it, it's at the heart of our uh, present uh, conflict over um, worldviews in the UK today. The word is reductionism. Now, if, if, reduction, if, if, if you have an allergic reaction to words that end in ism, then just give thanks because you're normal, right? Um, what is reductionism? This is, this is, forget the ism, this is what it's like. All our life, all our thought, all our feeling, everything that you are, this whole universe that we live in, all your feelings, all your reactions to the glories of a sunset, all that you feel when you're in love, all that you feel when you're grieving, sorrowing. This whole universe of humanity is reduced to molecules and atoms that make us up. That is, reduction says we are nothing more. You reduce us down to just the physical components of our lives. We are nothing more than the collection of chemicals, molecules and atoms, colliding around with level, different levels of energy, and that's about it. So you, you take a human being and you look at what they are and all the chemicals in them, and that's, that's how you account for us. So in order to understand humanity, you do chemistry and physics and maybe some engineering, because essentially we are just mechanisms, brilliant, astonishing mechanisms. So all you actually are is, is sort of a string of DNA spiraling its way through a meaningless universe. So if we are just reduced to the same atoms and molecules as everything else, we are no different from anything else. As for men, God tests them so that they may see, that is, he, he lets them live under the sun so that they may see that they are like the animals. So there's no difference between ourselves and the rest of the animal kingdom. We have the same breath, verse 19. Uh, we're made of the same dust, verse 20. 
We have the same fate, verse 19. And well, just who knows that afterwards. Verse 21. Uh, Verse 21 was not written to answer the question, will my pet dog go to heaven? Um, it's, uh, It's written to say, if you rule God out, then the whole question of going up or going down, the whole question of why you might be different from your dog, disappears. So if you rule God out, as one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. If you rule God out, what are you doing? You're undoing the narrative of Genesis, which says that God breathed into man his breath, which he did with nothing else that he made on all the other days. Nothing else. So as you've gone down the first three days and seen the habitats, and then you've gone up the next three days to see what fills the habitats, nowhere else does God breathe life, his life, into what he makes. So if you take God out, then what have you got left? Just the same as everything else that was made. And you will have come from that dust and you will return to that dust because that's all you are. And this is the the, the logic of the kind of atheistic humanism around us. But where does it lead? Well, why not experiment on embryos? Why not experiment on the handicapped? Why not just let children die on the street after you've used them? Why not do that? Because all you've got stopping you from doing it is basically social convention good manners. Why not rip off your neighbor? Uh, Why not take engineering principles and and apply them to human society? Why not engineer people's genetic code, not simply to make them better from diseases, but to turn them into the people that you would like them to be? Why not order up a daughter at the clinic? Why not just dial in the code for a son who'll be a lawyer and have perfect teeth? Why not slaughter? Why not just let people die? You see, Kehelleth, God's word, can tell it to us more starkly than the world would ever dare. Kehelleth takes us to the end point of what happens when we live just under the sun. 
See, there is no intrinsic human worth. For all we are is the chemicals that we're made of. There is no value to our humanity that is anything other than a self-deception, a comfort blanket. If you do what Dawkins did, and take God out of the picture and live under the sun, then you have no ultimate reason to say that anybody has any value at all, other than the one that you choose to give them, which may not be very much. And in our society at large, and in the world around us, tends to be the case. There is no other reasonable view of humanity if you've cut God out of the picture because there is no derived, given value. There is no reflected glory. There are no shards of splendor in the brokenness. There is no light from anywhere else upon us. So why not approach life's activities and values with the same kind of utilitarianism as verse 22? So I saw that there is nothing better for a man to enjoy his work. So what Cahill is saying, okay, what's the best you can do under the sun? You know, what's going to make life pretty reasonable and bearable? So I thought, so there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot for who can bring him to see what will happen to him or will happen after him. So enjoy it whilst you can. Um, You'll be deleted fairly soon, and you don't know what's coming. Something else will, but it won't bother you. That's it. Uh, Or as uh, Pauline put it at Tech Train, where I worked uh, one lunchtime, um, life's a bitch and then you die. So what the Word of God does is say, actually, you do have value. The reductionism is wrong. It's not just that it's unpleasant, because something can be unpleasant but true. It's just wrong. It's just not how it is. We don't live under the sun there is always the one who made the sun. And you can do, on a sunny day, which probably is now, you can do that with your thumb and blot out the sun. John Donne has a great poem on that. Um, You can blot out the sun. But do you not remember kids playing, as some of you will experience now with your own children, you may remember this yourself, this little thing about... You can't see me if I can't see you. You know, you can't see me. You can do that with your thumb, blot out the sun. But it hasn't gone away. And God doesn't go away just because we disbelieve him. God doesn't go away just because we functionally get on as if he wasn't there. And so 
what we have in the scriptures. That Gehelleth is, is, is so, so starkly warning people against jettisoning or living as if it wasn't the case. What we have in the scriptures is the most ennobling picture of what we are as human beings, even though fallen. What we have is a reason for going to Kampala. What we have is a reason for going on the streets of Dundee. What we have is a reason for being more than nice to your neighbor. What we have is a, in the scriptures is a reason, a reason that we are valuable. So what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that we do not live in an impersonal universe with only ourselves to celebrate. We do not live in an impersonal universe where despair is the only sensible conclusion. In actual fact, we were all made by someone. You were made by someone. The biggest, the biggest clash between ourselves and our culture at the moment is between an impersonal and a personal universe. You were made by someone. You were made by someone deliberately. You were made by an act of somebody's will. And you were made by that somebody from Genesis right the way through to Revelation. And you were made to be in his image, Genesis 1.26. That is, you were made to bear just by being alive and by being you the very image of the Creator God in glory and splendor and brilliance and ultimate worth. The one who is worth the universe made you with his imprint. You are worth something because of who made you. You weren't just made by somebody. The Bible says that you were made for somebody. Colossians 1, 16. All things were made by him and, if you know it, for him. You know what it's like to be missed? You know what it's like to have people wonder where you are? You know what it's like to, to have a place where uh, it's the old song at the, at the start of Cheers. Those of you who remember Cheers, the bar downstairs in wherever it was, New York somewhere, where everybody knows your name. Church can begin to do that, can't it? A, a, a church like this can begin to do that. To provide a place where you are missed. Because you're part of a group, you're part of people. You're, you belong here and you're valuable and you mean something. But you were made for God. There's somebody who misses you if you're not walking with him. There's somebody who longs for you if you're not there with him. There's somebody who is the father of the prodigal son as well as the other son who was out in the field bitter. You were made for someone. If you've experienced this, then uh, one of the, the most joyful things about 
being in love is that somebody really, really wants you to be with them. It's not just that you get somebody to be with you. It's just that you, you go through a day, there you are, you're, 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 you're in love, and you're at work or wherever it happens to be. You're wandering around Tesco in a daze or whatever. Well, you wouldn't bother because you've lost your appetite, so that wouldn't count. But you, you think, and you're thinking, somebody can't wait to see me. And that might be the first time in your entire life you've ever felt that. Somebody can't wait to see me. That's what the Bible gives you. That's what the Bible does with your humanity. It tells you there is somebody who just longs to have you. And so you have value to someone. If we'd have carried on with the Psalms, we'd have come to Psalm 8. And here's the greatness of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. So see how much the children on the street mean to God? Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the agenda and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why? How can you even think of us? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little, just an ever so infinitely, infinitesimally tiny little bit lower than the heavenly beings, the angels. I mean, there, as C.S. Lewis says, there is no such thing as a mortal. You shop with, you study with, you live with immortals. And crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all that swim the path of the sea. You're not one of them. You're set in a way over them because you're a child of God who made them all and put you where you are in the universe. You value to someone. You want to know how valuable you are? Now, there are other dimensions to this, but you want to know how valuable you are? Do you want to know the value that you have, not intrinsically, but because of the one who looks at you and sees you, longs for you? Do you want to know how much you mean to him? Look at the cross. For God so loved the world. That is the world in its badness, not its bigness. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that love has not just been spoken about. That love has been fleshed out by the proper man by Jesus, by the one truly human being that has ever yet walked this earth. So three things in closing. If you know or sense, if you have this inkling, if you just have this hunch 
that there is more to you than just your physical body and its chemical components, then the Bible says you're right. In fact, just earlier on in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the Bible has described that very thing. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. If you know, if you sense, they've got that inkling, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to me than this. There's got to be more to my children, to my parents, to my wife, husband, friend. There's got to be more than this. Then you're right. And God has put that inkling in your heart. God has put that hunch there. Follow it. Seek. Search. Jesus says you'll find. And you're in the right place on a Sunday morning to do that. But second, if, if, if you're already a believer, if you're already a Christian, um, then let Kaheleth speak to you. Because it's so easy for us just to think in the way that the world around us thinks. So that functionally, we let go of the wisdom that the Bible gives us. And also, if you're a Christian, just be confident that what we go out into the world with is better in terms of its reading of the world than our current society is wanting to read it. And third, worship, praise, adore, and trust the one who is above the sun who made the Son, who made you, and who made you for himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for its uh, astonishing freshness and relevance to us. We thank you for the challenge and for the hope that is held out to us in the gospel. We pray that you would help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, we pray, to serve you and to live before you. And we ask that we might be your instruments in this world for bringing your value to the people around us. Not just to say you're wonderful because you're human, but to say there is a God who loves you so much that he would die and conquer death to free you from folly and sin. Lord, help us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, we're going to sing and then close with prayer.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.